The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today it's an honor to welcome one of my colleagues, a fellow registered dietitian, Holly DeLong. She has an undergraduate degree in psychology from the University of Delaware and a master's degree in nutrition from Drexel University. Holly chose to pursue nutrition after discovering firsthand the powerful impact food has on not only our body, but our mind. And using nutrition, she was able to overcome depression and learn how to manage a difficult chronic condition. By making small but consistent changes, she was able to achieve sustainable wellness, and she now works with clients to guide them towards the same results. Holly DeLong practices integrative and functional nutrition. She uses individualized approaches that work within the constraints of her clients' realities, and her wellness philosophy is based on seeking balance in all aspects of life. And her specialty areas include weight management, digestive disorders, hormonal imbalances, and stress management. Holly, it is a pleasure to have you with me. Welcome. Hi, Melinda. Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I found you and your work on one of our shared practice group lists within the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, and I thought, boy, food and mood, don't we need this now more than ever? We've had a rough 2020. We are in 2021 with hopefully an outlook of positivity, but so many of us have suffered with anxiety and depression and stress not only related to the impact of climate change, but with economic declines and the virus. And so we're facing a lot all at once. And I don't think we put enough attention on the power of diet and other factors in lifestyle that can really make a difference. So I so want to talk to you about all of these factors that you put into play. But first, tell me a little bit about your background You had mentioned to me that this was a second career. You had had a lot of stress in your prior work, and you found that nutrition made a difference for you. Tell me your story. Yeah, so I worked in corporate HR, a very stressful environment, a lot of pressure. And in my early 20s, I just started noticing health issues that I thought, I'm too young for this. And mainly, I was really suffering with growing anxiety and depression and gut health issues, and it became kind of this whole storm of things. And I was going to doctors and being prescribed a lot of medication, and I just thought, there's got to be a better way. And I really didn't know anything about nutrition, so I started to learn more and change the way I ate and include more plant foods and just kind of really try to tackle my issues from that holistic approach. And I saw such amazing results that I just became so passionate about this topic and the power that nutrition has in our lives. I think it touches our lives in so many, so many ways. So I wanted to just be involved in that more. I decided to leave my career, change everything, go back to school after being out of the classroom for over 10 years, 
and become a dietitian, and it was fabulous. And, and the one thing I want to say there is that's the happy ending. During that time, there was such a, a lack of hope, and I think that's the hardest thing with depression and anxiety. I think we're feeling a little bit of that on a global level. Hopefully, we're, we're headed in a more hopeful direction, but I want to just say to anybody that's listening out there that that lack of hope, that feeling that nothing's ever going to get better, it can get better, and there are powerful steps that you can take today to try to manage that. So we hope to, to guide some people in that direction today. Oh, that's fantastic. All right, so let's say somebody reaches out to you and they're feeling similar to the way you felt. They're under a lot of stress. They're dealing with mounting pressures, whether maybe they've lost their job, they're working at home, they've got kids at home that are trying to be schooled there, they're worried about the virus, even fellow healthcare workers who are just on the front lines of this virus, not getting adequate sleep, maybe not eating well. Where do you start? That's a great question. So there's so many factors at play right now. Loss of routine, worry, stress, as you said. So I think a good place to start, I think so many things impact our mood and those that stress management. Blood sugar is one of the biggest ones. And that doesn't have to mean diabetes or blood sugar affects all of us. It's not only if you have a blood sugar condition. So one of the main things that I start with, and I think so important right now, is regular meal frequency. So a lot of times I hear from people that are really suffering with low energy, and low energy goes hand-in-hand with low mood. It's hard to feel happy and motivated when we're just feeling so tired. So I often start immediately, are people eating breakfast? So I think that's a very good starting point. With this loss of routine, I've heard a lot of people say their appetite signals aren't what they used to be. So maybe using tools like setting reminders for meals, still trying to keep to a schedule, even though things may be abnormal right now and your normal routine may be disrupted. So keeping to that regular breakfast, lunch, and dinner, some snacks in between perhaps, making sure that that is really impactful to keeping our blood sugar stable. And when our blood sugar fluctuates from going too long without eating or eating something that spikes our blood sugar really high, which might be something very high in added sugars or a refined carbohydrate like a white pasta, it can mimic these feelings of anxiety, contribute to them as well. We may feel irritable. Your heart rate may increase cortisol is released, that stress hormone. So all of those things kind of create this mood instability that just working on your meal timing can make a big impact there. It may not be the whole picture, but it's a really good starting point, I think. Yeah, I agree. And it's so difficult to know how our blood sugar is responding. How do you guide people through awareness of blood sugar levels? So knowing what to look out for, what a dip in blood sugar would feel like is one of the main things I start with. So a dip in blood sugar can actually, like I said, mimic that feeling of anxiety and even like a true panic attack. So if people start to feel shaky, they notice they're a little dizzy, they feel like a sense of confusion, your heart rate may increase, lightheadedness, those are signs that your blood sugar is dipping. So that, just that awareness of knowing the signals that your body is giving you are really important and helpful, I think. And then the opposite side of that, if we're going to eat foods that are highly processed, you've probably seen the recent research looking at 
the ingestion of highly processed foods and the weakened immune system that results, regardless of how that affects our heart risk and our risk for other chronic diseases, there's this link to immunity that I think is so interesting as it affects our gut. And so how do you guide people through being aware that their blood sugar levels might be too high? So again, kind of looking for those signals. You may feel a sudden burst of energy, even like a jitteriness that comes from that spike in blood sugar. If your blood sugar is running high, you may notice cues like you're very thirsty. People tend to urinate more often. So I think it's always so important to be listening to the signals that our body is giving us and paying attention to those. And that just creates this greater sense of awareness. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the things that I tell my clients to look for if I suspect their blood sugar might be running high. And I think, too, it's important to be aware of what foods are more likely to make that blood sugar increase. I know that when we look at the dietary guidelines, for example, there is always advice not to eat too much sugar. But when you look at the processed food industry and soft drinks, for example, I am amazed at how much sugar we may be taking in and really not being aware of. Absolutely. And I think it creates this confusion, too. I hear a lot of people now confused, should I eat fruit? Fruit is high in sugar. So I think an important thing that I always try to highlight is the difference between natural sugars and those added sugars. The addition of added sugars to labels was a really positive change, I think, and uh, most labels are, or a lot of labels are showing that. So I always counsel my clients to turn around something that you're eating or drinking, look for those added sugars, see where those are. I think just a general good guideline there is concentrating on whole foods. So if you're holding an orange in your hand, it doesn't have a label, but we know that that's that natural sugar. It's going to contain fiber that helps to release that natural sugar more slowly and keep our blood sugar more stable as opposed to something like soda or even a fruit juice that has a lot of sugar with nothing to help it release more slowly. So I try to concentrate on those natural sugars versus added and concentration on whole foods, I think is always a good guideline. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So I want to talk a little bit about scheduling meals too. And I, I love your advice to find a new routine or have some sort of schedule for yourself in all aspects of life. And I think that that's one of the disruptions or the big disruptions that we've seen with COVID. It's like we've had this year of disruption and the schedules are the first thing to shift. And that's stressful. So when you're talking to somebody about their day, what are you specifically looking for with regard to food and meal timing? So I emphasized breakfast before, and I think just in general, the way we start our day shapes our day, shapes our lives. So important. So I like to focus on breakfast as a good starting point. I think from the time that you wake up, try to have breakfast within an hour, I think is a good guideline or less. Too much further than that can lead to skipping meals. So I think starting with a good breakfast and then moving on throughout your schedule. Like we said, the routines are so different for people. So creating new routines, even if they're just temporary, 
making a to-do list for your day of what you're going to eat and, like I said, setting those reminders, trying to keep lunch at the same time, even though you might not have the same triggers, like a break from work or something that you normally plan your day around. So decide when you're going to be your lunchtime roughly and stick with that. Like I said, appetite cues are some of the most common things that I'm hearing from people. They're just not feeling the same cues that they typically do. So just sticking with a regular schedule, trying to time it, trying to plan. I think those things are so important. Yeah, I agree. Okay, let's also talk about sleep, because that's another thing that many times dietitians certainly, you know, we don't, or at least I didn't study sleep when I was in school. Maybe you did and looked at how that affects cortisol levels and stress responses. But I've looked at some sleep data recently as it applies to vaccinations. But these were some researchers that looked at people who slept fewer than six hours on average per night, and they were less likely to mount antibody responses to vaccination. And so we're telling people to make sure that you get at least seven hours of sleep on average because sleep is so critical in having a strong immune system, but diet affects sleep and vice versa. So how would you guide someone in terms of getting adequate rest to reduce stress levels and improve their overall health? That's such a great point. I think sleep is starting to get more attention, but it is an undervalued thing as how much it impacts our health. So I like to start with, again, timing is so important. If I have a client who is eating very close to bed, especially something maybe high in those sugars we talked about, that's going to disrupt your sleep. So I like to advise people to try to stick to stopping your last meal about two hours before you go to sleep as a guideline more is great too, but giving yourself just that two hours of digestion so when you go to bed, your body can concentrate more on rest. Another big thing that I recommend is a magnesium supplement. Magnesium is really important for stress management, and a lot of stress can, of course, interrupt our sleep quality. I think we can all attest to that, and it promotes relaxation. So taking a magnesium supplement about 30 minutes to an hour before you go to sleep can really help improve your quality of sleep and promote that relaxation. I concentrate on things outside a little bit of food, but I think still going in line with that routine, screen time before bed, even lighting. I counsel people to turn off the overhead lighting and turn on lamps instead because that overhead lighting has actually been shown to interrupt melatonin production. Kind of tells your body, hey, the sun's still on. It's daytime. So things like setting the stage for bedtime by dimming the lighting, making sure the temperature is at a comfortable place, and I think creating a routine, even something like having some chamomile tea at the same time before bed. Chamomile tea can promote relaxation, but also just that routine of signaling to your body, hey, it's time for me to wind down. It's time for me to start preparing for rest. Those things can really go a long way. Mm. Let me take one break because we're halfway through. I just want to remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are speaking with Ms. Holly DeLong. She is a registered dietitian. She holds an undergraduate degree in psychology, a master's degree in nutrition, and she has a focus in her practice on food and mood, and she takes an integrative and functional nutrition approach. 
Holly, I want to talk about the magnesium piece because I could not agree more. And it's one of the minerals that has been found to be short in our diet, probably because we don't eat enough plant-based foods. We're not eating enough dark leafy vegetables. And nuts also are a great source of magnesium. I also found a supplement. I don't like to swallow pills. I find it to be uncomfortable. But I found a powdered magnesium drink, and I totally agree with you that it is so soothing and helps a very relaxed state. And I just want to say that if you get too much magnesium, it results in diarrhea. So it's one of those minerals that it's it's easy to know when you've taken too much. What do you recommend in terms of quantity and supplements? That's a great point. I usually recommend around 300 to 400 milligrams. With GI discomfort being the limiting factor? Exactly, yes. So our gut health, which we're going to touch on a little bit more, but I think that gives us so much data. So like you said, if you're concerned about taking too much and you're getting some GI upset, then that's a clue that maybe that's too much for you. It also matters which form you're taking of magnesium. So I don't know if you have a specific form that you found has less GI side effects, but I like to go with magnesium oxide is a good one and that tends to give less of that diarrhea. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, I'm not sure what the calm beverage, what that formulation is, but I find that a really easy way. You mentioned chamomile tea, you know, stirring in a tablespoon of that before bed, I think really aids in relaxation. Also, Epsom salt baths, another way to absorb magnesium is through the skin. So that's another nice relaxation approach that I have found to be effective when I'm dealing with a lot of anxiety and stress in my life. That's so true. And that bath time, again, can give you that double benefit of absorbing the magnesium through the skin and also promoting that relaxation with routine and you could just enjoy your time in the bath. So that's a great bedtime routine. Okay, great. Now, we are going to dive into the gut, but there's one or two more nutrients I hope we can touch on before that. And that has to do with recommendations for vitamin D. And there is good literature out there supporting the benefits of vitamin D in terms of our mental health and especially in reducing depression. The other thing is that we typically don't get enough exposure to sunlight, especially if you're living in latitudes where we live, I think it's anything north of South Carolina. During the winter, it's impossible, even if you're outside naked, to get enough vitamin D through the skin. What are your recommendations here and why? I think that's a great point. So the research is really showing promising results from the tie between vitamin D deficiency and depression and treating that deficiency having a positive impact on depression. But the point there is if you're not deficient, it may not have a positive effect and you don't want to take too much vitamin D. It is a fat-soluble vitamin. So it's one of those where we have to be mindful of the amounts that we're taking. And there's a lot of conflicting advice out there. The recommendation is 600 IUs. But like you said, so many of us are deficient. I think the best course of action is to have an annual vitamin D level check. You can talk to your doctor about that. Most doctors are very open to that suggestion. And then kind of see where you are. If that's not possible, I usually start out with about 2,000 IUs, and that is more than the recommendation, but still what I consider to be a conservative amount 
there are some people who are recommending large, large amounts, and I just don't feel comfortable with that, with the research that's out there or the lack thereof. So I think 2,000 is a great place to start, especially after evaluating someone's sunlight exposure, where they live, the foods that they eat, all of that. I agree. Now, you had a client that was taking too much vitamin D and ended up with kidney stones. That's correct. So she was coming to me perplexed of what could be causing this and looking at all sorts of things in her diet. And when I found out that she was taking 10,000 IUs of vitamin D, we changed that right away as that can increase your risk of kidney stones. And for her, that seemed to really be what might have been at play. She eliminated that high dose, reduced it to a more responsible level and hasn't had any problems with that since, at least. Yeah, I think these points are so important because I think we tend to think that if a little bit is good, more is better. And with some vitamins, especially those fat-soluble, like you mentioned, that's really where we can run into some trouble with nasty side effects. So it's really good to understand those relationships of nutrients with others like vitamin D and calcium, and those relationships are critical. Okay, we want to dive also into omega-3 fatty acids. We know, for example, that because we consume so much processed food, we have an imbalance of omega-6 and omega-3 fatty acids. What do you tell your clients? So that imbalance that you referenced, it it promotes an inflammatory state in our bodies. And inflammation is related to so many things, poor immunity, poor mental health, really the root of all disease. So I concentrate on increasing omega-3s in the diet through fatty fish, nuts and seeds. Flaxseed is one of my favorite things to recommend. I think it's really easy to incorporate and has so many benefits. Ground flaxseed can be added to oatmeal. It can be added to smoothies. It helps reduce cholesterol levels, So, and it's a great source of omega fatty acids. So that's one thing I recommend. Fish about twice a week is a great recommendation. And I think taking an omega-3 supplement is also a good idea. So a fish oil supplement, about one to two grams is usually what I recommend to my clients. And a lot of people really see benefits from their mental health and skin health, immunity, a lot of those things we notice changes in once implementing that intervention. Yeah. And again, another symptom of a larger food and agriculture system gone awry where we have adopted so many processed foods, they're everywhere. And I don't think we fully recognize the impact of these highly refined, high-sugar, high-salt foods that are really a detriment to not only our physical health, but our mental health as well. And along those lines, we should dive into gut health. We are learning so much more about how the gut really is a control center of our body and the bacteria that live in our guts, and how that affects our mental and physical health. Tell me a little bit about your understanding of these relationships and what you tell your clients. So the research in this area is really growing, and I think that's fantastic. This gut-brain access and showing that disruption in the gut is increasing risk of depression, even bipolar disorder. There's a lot of research on anxiety, stress management. So I, as a dietitian, always like to start with a food-focused approach. So dietary recommendations for a healthy gut, I like to recommend concentrating on diversity. So many of us eat the same things all of the time, 
uh, especially vegetables. You might have a collection of five vegetables that you cycle through. Concentrating on diversity, trying to increase your variety, trying new vegetables, trying to prepare them in different ways if you don't think you like them. Preparation has so much to do with how a vegetable tastes. So that's one thing, diversity, I really try to concentrate on. Again, those whole foods. So I think concentrating on whole plant foods can really touch on all of these things we're talking about. So that's a good recommendation for gut health as well. Fruits and vegetables contain fiber. That's one of our best sources of fiber. And fiber is an important prebiotic, it's called. And we've probably heard probiotic, prebiotic kind of feeds that gut bacteria. So I like to concentrate on making sure that people are getting enough fruits and vegetables and, again, a variety of those. Fiber is also found in whole grains, nuts and seeds. So, so important to gut health is fiber, and that's always something that I focus on. Yeah. Fermented foods is another good thing. So yogurt, kimchi, tempeh, those all will contain probiotics in a food form. So those are some things that I work with people to try to experiment with or, or introduce regularity into their diet. Yeah, and those high-fiber foods also help stabilize blood sugar. So it's a real win-win in protecting our gut, boosting our immune response, and then also stabilizing blood sugars, which I love that word hanger. You know, I think we can all relate to that. And so fiber just helps us, I think, also feel satisfied longer. And we're eating whole, more nutrient-dense foods. We just have a few minutes left. And I want to leave that time to you. Is there anything that you want to make sure our listeners know? So I think nutrition information can be confusing and overwhelming. And people end up feeling confused. So while we're talking about these specific areas of topics, I think, like I said, a, a good general approach to trying to have a balanced, healthy diet is to concentrate on those whole foods, fruits and vegetables, whole grains, nuts and seeds. Those plant-based foods are going to help with our blood sugar, are going to help with our gut health and all of that. So I think that's a really good general place to start without having to try to worry about the magnesium content in all foods and get too caught up in the weeds and end up confused. Yeah. And the other thing I think is mindset is so important. So one of the things I noticed in my own health journey is I started changing my diet and I was eating really healthy. And at first I was seeing results, but not the amount of results that I saw when I really worked on my mindset. So I think mindset going along with these things is so important. Practicing gratitude celebrating your wins on a day-to-day basis, meaning what went well today. We tend to focus on the negative so much. Get into a practice. You lie your head on your pillow at night and think, what went well today? What do I have to be happy about? That can really just go so far with all of the things we're talking about here and improving your mental health. Yeah, I could not agree more. And I think that you're having that training in psychology and nutrition is a beautiful marriage of expertise. And I want to let our listeners know that your Food and Mood website has some great resources. One is on diaphragmatic breathing. And for my own stress levels during this nightmarish year that we've just experienced, I think that focusing on the breath has been a great, easy way to settle into a better night's sleep. So you've got some good tips on diaphragmatic breathing that can help. I also think that the self-talk is so important 
and being able to catch ourselves when we go down a negative spiral. So you've got a great blog series on your website that can help people navigate some of these challenges too. So Holly, I just want to thank you so much for your work and recognizing this relationship between psychology and nutrition. In closing, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn for KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Most of all, I want to thank my guest, Ms. Holly DeLong, registered dietitian with a master's degree in nutrition and a background in psychology and research. I will provide a link to her food and mood website, as well as links on getting better sleep and also reducing stress. Thank you so much for your time today, Holly. Thank you, Melinda. It was such a pleasure.